Welcome to episode four, part two of the Squilliam series. We're talking to Chess, who last episode told us about his rough start in the first 25 years of life. And now, uh, moving forward, we're going to hear about his path to recovery and how he got to where he is now. Stay tuned for the next half hour. I was 25 and mm-hmm. went to a couple meetings and thought, okay, well, this is interesting. I don't really identify with any of these people. They're older. They're not, you know, I don't know. They're not posh as I would like them to be. You know, <laughs> nobody drove fancy cars. It, you know, it was just kind of like, oh, okay. Um, and, um, but my brother suggested I go to this pray away the gay place. And I thought, you know what? I got nothing to lose. So off I go to Akron, Ohio, uh, to a facility there. And uh, I had a little apartment across the street from the campus. And I would go in almost every day for meetings and uh, psychotherapy sort of thing. And I was there for a couple of weeks. And (laughs) funny thing is I I was there, I had a small car that I I had rented and I would go out to the gay bars (laughs) in Akron at night and hang out. I didn't drink. But I'd hang out and have a good time. Then I'd get up the next day and go to this pray away the gay place. I mean, it just, it was, you know, it, it, the movie that this would make is really good. But anyway, I, I would go to this thing and we'll have, the to keep the, we'll have to keep the recording and uh, pitch it to someone someday. I know, right? The, I went to uh, this really, obviously he was a good psychologist and, um, or therapist. I don't, I don't know what his credentials were. He managed, who knows? Anyway, so I went to him and he said, you know, it sounds like it. And we had talked about my drinking. It sounds like you're okay being gay. And I said, yeah, I am. And he said, but you sound like you have a drinking problem. And I was like, yes, that's it. That is the problem. And I mean, he he knew from what we had shared, what I'd shared, what we talked about, that that was where my problem was coming from. And it wasn't, mm-hmm. even though he was paid to, to make me straight, um, that wasn't the problem. So um, that's when I got in my car and my rental car, or either turned my car in and flew back home, I guess, and came back to Greensboro or Winston, in fact, and um, went to a couple more meetings. And then I met this cute guy from Wake Forest Law School. And he knew that I had quit drinking. He was very supportive. But I really thought that we needed to celebrate our new relationship by drinking a bottle of champagne. And we did. And the rest of the night is a blur. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm pretty sure, well, I, I know for a fact, um, he ended up back at my place. And pretty much that's where my now relationship of 28 years started. Um, so 28 years later, um, we're still together. Um, but Well, it's good that you're still together. Yeah, it's amazing that we're still together. But we started drinking that night. And he was not a heavy drinker like I was, but quickly became my drinking buddy. Mm-hmm. And uh, for 10 years after that, we drank solid 10 years. I, um, I can't say that things were all that bad, 
but I always knew when I woke up and when I say bad, I mean, like I didn't have a DUI. I didn't, a lot of the things that happened to people didn't happen to me. My bottom is pretty high. I would say, Mm -hmm. um, and what I mean by that is like, I didn't lose my car, my house, my family, my dog. Like I had all that stuff intact. Right. Um, but, um, when I would wake up in the morning and think I was going to die or when I'd wake up in the morning and think I have to run downstairs and get a beer before I can take a shower or do anything else. Um, I would think to myself, Oh my God, you're such an alcoholic. Like I knew. And, and it's a different voice. It wasn't that sort of snarky, har, har, Mm -hmm. har, you know, drunks go to bars, alcoholics go to meetings. It wasn't that sort of snarky, voice it was this like the real voice of my inside saying you're an alcoholic and you shouldn't mm-hmm. be drinking like this so it seems and, like there was a lot of self-awareness going on and then oh absolutely kind of, but it didn't stop me <laughs> you were you're ignoring it though absolutely i was aware but i did not care um and i i think it was because i didn't know how i didn't know what to do i, I knew what I had learned in the few months that I was involved in Alcoholics Anonymous that I, that, you know, drinking like this wasn't normal. Like normal people don't get up at eight o'clock and have a beer before they can do anything else. Um, normal people don't um, drink before going to a cocktail party. Normal people don't, um, they drink at the cocktail party. They drink at the cocktail party, but they don't have to have two drinks to get there. And, you know, normal people don't, normal people really don't go to bars and sit for eight hours and drink all day. You know, not just beer, but Jägermeister shots and everything else that you can think of. Um, it's, that's not actually normal drinking. Mm-hmm. Most people, most people have a way of saying, oh man, I've had too much to drink. It doesn't feel good to me. I don't want to drink anymore. Um, but I was not a normal drinker and I didn't know how to stop. And one morning we woke up and uh, my, my now husband, John said, I can't go to work and I'm sick. I, I just, I can't do it. And for some reason, like the voice that I'd heard all those years said, you've got to stop or he's going to die. Mm-hmm. And it literally, I, I got up, we called a doctor, the doctor sent some medication over for John, uh, a friend of mine and, and ours actually came over and sat with him. And I got in my car and drove to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. It was a Thursday morning. Mm-hmm. And um, when I walked in the room, this is, is funny when you think about the way meetings are run these days. So I walked in this room, it was in the basement of a Lutheran church. There you and, go. Basement yeah, of a church. Always the basement of a church. I walked into the basement of this church and it was a room full of women. And I thought, well, this is nice. Um, and I said, hey, this is my first meeting in 10 years. And the woman I spoke to said, well, honey, this is a women's meeting. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit. You know, here I have hunted for a meeting all morning. I found one nearby and, and it's a women's meeting and I'm gonna have to go. And she said, no, 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 you stay, you stay. It'll be okay. And, uh, did you, I don't mean to offend, but did you say it's okay? I'm gay. 
Yeah, well, you know, I wanted to. I, I think they probably knew that. <laughs> they probably figured uh, by my reaction. I'm, I'm sure I was. I made some funny comment, but um, they they invited me to stay, and it felt to me like I had just like I, you know how you can kind of imagine something like a mm-hmm. the scene of something. It felt to me like I had crawled up on the table in the middle of the room and curled up in the fetal position. And this group of women just took care of me. Mm-hmm. And they, they really did help me that day to feel accepted and understood and loved and not embarrassed or ashamed. Um, I just, I was in the right place. And um, while I never went back to that same women's meeting, <laughs> I continued from that day on to go to meetings every day. Mm-hmm. And the idea uh, in recovery is, or we do here in AA is 90 meetings in 90 days. And I took it really seriously. Um, I, I went to meetings every day and sometimes twice a day, I'd go to an early morning meeting. And then after work, I'd go to another meeting. And the conversation I had with John about it was, uh, you know, I spent so much time wasting, wasted, literally wasted in a bar Mm -hmm. and I can spare two or three hours a day to take care of my health and to uh, recover from this disease. And that's what I did. I mean, I just, I did my 90 meetings in 90 days. I got a sponsor. Um, I won't go into great detail about that. I'll just say that I had some of the best sponsors in the world. I still have a really great sponsor who I've worked with for years. Um, I've, I've had three sponsors. Um, two of them are deceased. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and they both died sober and health, you know, like happy and in healthy relationships. And they're the kind of people I want to be when I die. Like I, I want to die like they did. Um, but my, um, my sponsor now is just an amazing man and I trust him. That's, that's a big part of this program is learning how to trust people. Um, I did not trust people when I first got sober, it was so hard for me to do that. And to be able to, to learn and to accept the fact that, yeah, some of these people actually care about me. I mean, I had to feel it out, you know, but uh, the sponsor I have now is an amazing person I can trust. And, he helped me because at the time I got sober in 2002. So mm-hmm. to put that in context, in 2001, um, I had a small business at that point. 9-11 happened in September. Mm-hmm. And my business was contingent on holiday spending, Christmas spending. Uh, and in 2001, nobody spent money at Christmas. Everybody was scared. Nobody want, Nobody went shopping. It was the worst Christmas ever. So when I got sober in June 2002, I was still buried in debt and fear. And I mean, I didn't know what was going to happen with my small business. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't know how to hand. I didn't know how to handle relationships with debtor, but my, the people who were calling me to collect the debt. Um, Mm -hmm. and I was terrified and my sponsor finally said to me, why don't you try being honest with them? 
And I was like, well, I don't even know how to, I don't, I don't know what you mean. <laughs> and he was like, well, first of all, you have to talk to them. You can't just not talk to them, but why don't you tell them what's going on? And I started trying that and damned if those people didn't work with me. Um, they understood, I, I said, you know, Hey, first of all, you know, I'm, I'm still reeling from 2001, which they all were as well. Mm-hmm. And the second thing I said was, and I'm also new in recovery and I'm just, I'm trying to live a different way. So I want to pay you back, but I don't know how I'm going to do it. I mean, I just, I can only send you a hundred bucks. And this, you know, here I had a, a de- I owed somebody $10,000 and I'm telling them I'm going to send them a hundred dollars. I thought for sure they would laugh at me. Structured they payment. Said, They'll take what they can take. They said, send us a hundred dollars. That's fine. Yeah. And they worked with me and I got that, all of that debt paid off. And, um, you know, what, it was just a novel concept to me to actually address this straight on mm-hmm. uh, because I'd never done that. Like I always would make up something and get away with it and, you know, I'd eventually pay, but I'd drag my feet as long as I could. And usually it's because of some bad spending spree I'd go on or some drinking uh, you know, trip that I'd take and didn't have the money to pay my bills. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was able to, to build back after that. Uh, my business did really well. Um, but what changed in over the years though, was me. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved my business. I was a very nice men's and women's clothing store. And I said, you know, I love working with these people. I love my customers, but I don't really enjoy doing what I'm doing. Like, I feel like it's really superficial and it's not deep. And I, I really like the deeper connections that I have with people. And I think one of, the, one of the reasons my business was successful was I had really deep relationships with my clients. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I uh, decided in 2007 that I would close my store. And part of my story that I didn't go into today was my educational experiences. I had really struggled in, in college and just decided to hell with it. I don't need a college degree. I'll just go do my own thing. And that's what I did. And it was not, you know, fortunately it was successful and I was able to make money and, and survive by doing so. Um, but in 2007, I was really ready to try something different. And I applied for a job at UNCG in the development office as a um, fundraiser for the college of, um, music, which was then the, well, it was the college of music. Then now it's the college of visual and performing arts. And I got this really lovely letter from the woman who ran the advancement office. And I have, I have it hanging on my wall in my office, um, because it, it means that much to me. And she said, you know, you, you're a great, great person. We'd love to have you but you don't meet our minimum requirement of having a baccalaureate degree. And I thought, damn, I can't even get a job doing what I'm good at because I don't have a degree. So I decided to close my business and um, go back to school and finish my undergraduate degree. And that's what I did. Close my business. I probably made more money in that last six months than I'd made in my entire life. Going out of business is very lucrative, Um, but I closed the store, uh, started school, and by 2009, I had graduated, 
and I had a degree in religious studies and a minor in psychology, and I loved it. At that point, um, I wanted to go to grad school. Um, there's a whole nother chapter of my life that goes into that, but I'll cut to um, 2012. I graduated uh, with a Master of Divinity from Duke, and um, which is a big deal because really I never expected to be accepted into a fine school like Duke. And especially um, with that's what they do is <laughs> that kind of stuff. Yeah, it was, it was such a good experience to go to the school. I had, I, you know, I had mediocre grades, but anyway, uh, they accepted me and I had a great experience there. Um, and what's fun is I, um, had, I applied for a job at UNCG in a different office uh, in the College of Arts and Sciences, but also in fundraising. And um, they hired me. And ironically, the woman who sent me away years before ended up being my direct supervisor. <laughs> <laughs> so it was great. It was great to like walk in her office and say, here I am. You got did me. You go show back her to the, did you show her the letter? Oh yeah, absolutely. I said, I've been, I've had this letter and, and you inspired me to go back to school. Um, and this is, you know, now I work in an office with students coming in and out all day and they're, you know, some days they're like, I just want to drop out of school, blah, blah, blah. And I say, go read that letter and then let's talk about it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, usually that that's a good encouragement point for people to say, okay, yeah, I'll stick it out, you know, um, but, um, so I, I worked in development here for eight years and loved being part of the university. I really, really value what we do at UNCG. And, uh, but the position in this program, the Spartan recovery program, uh, came open the, the woman who had had it for five years prior was retiring. And, uh, I had been involved peripherally with the program, um, just as a, a resource, uh, in the community for students and, and really not that involved, but around enough If they had a speaker panel and they wanted somebody from the university who was sober to speak, they'd invite me to speak, that sort of thing. So um, I uh, was at a reception for the woman who is retiring. Mm -hmm. and my, the supervisor of this department, the counseling center here at UNCG, and I were talking and I said, man, I would love to have this job. This is like the perfect job. And she, oh, 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 in the meantime, I've been asked to serve on the hiring committee for, for this job, for, for this job. And I'd agreed to do so. So here I am at this party and I'm like, yeah, I sure wish I could do this job, but I'm really happy I'm going to be on the hiring committee. That makes me really happy that I can do this. And she said, well, why don't you apply? And I said, well, I don't really have a lot of clinical background. I'm not a you know, alcohol and other drug counselor. I don't have a social work degree. I have an MDiv and, you know, MDiv pretty much covers everything, but, you know, people don't really think about it that way. Um, and she said, well, you should apply. I was like, huh, okay. So a very called, important person's telling you to apply to this job. Yeah. I went, I called the woman who was heading the committee to hire uh, for the position. I said, I have to step away from this committee, but expect my resume. <laughs> so I applied and, you know, things worked out. I, I had went through a great interview process. I took the job in um, March 
of 2020 and the pandemic started. And that's where I, I started the week of like the, sh- the big shutdown. So I, I never even got to go to my office until several months later. Oh, but wow. I worked from home. They got me a computer. We immediately changed the programming for students to uh, be able to sign on uh, through Zoom and have meetings through Zoom. Uh, it was a whole, it was a whole different, I felt like I was recreating or creating a new program altogether. And, uh, I think that's probably a, a blessing in a way, uh, because, you know, now I, I didn't come in as the person who retired, like the person who followed them that everybody hated, you know, <laughs> I came in, it was a whole new system that had to go into place and it was nobody, it wasn't my fault. Uh, so I came in yeah, someone and just was, happened to be leaving. Yep. Yeah. And then, so I came in and had to start the whole thing up again and, and it wasn't anybody's fault. It was just that the pandemic came and there you go. So here I am. I, I, I have this great office. I work with about 60 students on average, uh, per semester, uh, summer school. We have about 25 right now or 25 to 30, I guess. And it's a growing program. Um, our, the opportunity here is for students to have a place where they can go to uh, have, you know, recovery coaching. I've, I've actually gone back to school and just finished my um, substance abuse counseling certification. And I'm in the nice. process of getting um, what's called the uh, LCAS. It's a licensed clinical addiction specialist. Very nice. So, yeah. I'm, I'm an associate. Um, and I have to tell you, I've, never loved a job more in my entire life. Um, if, if you had told me 10 years ago or eight years ago uh, or 19 years ago or 20 years, yeah, exactly. Uh, that I'd be doing this. I would have laughed. Um, and you know, my, my idea originally, and the reason I went to Duke divinity school was I thought that I would be in church ministry. I thought that I might be a pastor or a priest of some sort. And, um, ended up being ordained actually in the United Church of Christ um, and very happy to be a part of a a denomination that is so welcoming and inclusive and really thoughtful about harm reduction and the way that we approach uh, drug use. Never, I always thought that I might end up in a church, like in a parish working. And honestly, the work I do now is the church, the work of the church. It is kind of like uh, the social system that needs to be in place for people to find safe space to recover and to find non-judgmental space. You know, when I ask someone a question and they say, huh, nobody ever asked me that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I, when I say, hey, what, what is your drinking giving you? What's, what is, what's helping you with this? And they say, gosh, nobody's ever asked me that. You know, it's, 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 it's the work of, it's, it's amazing work. That's mm-hmm. all I can say about it. Um, I get up early in the morning cause I can't wait to get here. Mm-hmm. Um, I end up staying late because I don't want to go home because there's always something good happening. And my students are interesting. They care about their academics. They care about each other, uh, which is part of recovery. I mean, part of recovery is kind of getting out of yourself and, you know, you're not the center of the world. And once I realized that myself, you know, that's when my life changed. Mm-hmm. And that's when, when things started getting a little clearer about 
who I wanted to be as a, as a person, not just in recovery, but as a guy walking down the street, am I the guy who says hi, or am I the guy who turns away uh, from someone? And I want to be the guy who says hi, uh, even if it gets me in a long conversation with somebody I don't want to talk to. Um, I, I'm able to say, you know what? I appreciate this conversation. But I've got to move on. <laughs> you know, I can do that uh, yeah. now where I don't have to hide from people. Um, I'm not afraid of those people that I was afraid of in high school. <laughs> Probably their kids are coming to see me now uh, for help. <laughs> and I'm happy to be here for them. Um, you know, the irony of that to me is not lost. Um, so, yeah, that's Ooh. kind of my story. I, I like, I like it. And I think it's uh, when I've, when I've talked to, to classes at UNCG, about my recovery story, not necessarily about Spartan recovery program, but about my recovery story. They kind of look at me like, holy shit, like you've been through a lot. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have, Uh, what I have found is that uh, I'm resilient. Uh, I value education. I value integrity. I value honesty. I value other people's stories as being important and relevant. Good way to be in the world. Well, you know, we thank you for coming on today. And uh, is there anything else you want to share before we, uh, before we end? Hmm. Uh, yeah. If people are interested in supporting the Spartan Recovery Program, we have a website at UNCG. And it's... Um, if they go there, there's a way to donate. And we have a scholarship fund that I'm really proud of that we just established this past year. We have four students now who have received scholarships uh, based, on that pro- based on that fund. And uh, we hope it grows to a place that we can support all of the students because they all deserve it. They're all amazing. So yeah, that's all I would add to, uh, to this. Now you're plugging stuff in my podcast. All right. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's what, okay. It, is there a book that you're selling right now? What are you doing? No, I'm not. Um, Come on. You got to have a book. I'll just put the link in the description <laughs> for the, for the, um, the donation. That's awesome. Thank you. Awesome. So Chess, it was great to hear your story. Um, thank you for sharing so much. And for everyone listening, I hope you have a great rest of your day.